The environment we build product in matters as much as the product itself. It can impact an organization's decision-making process, the speed of development, and the results the product creates for the users it serves. As product managers, we generally look at working on products in either the public or private sectors. Much of the advice and insights on building products today is dominantly on how to approach it in the private sector. But what about the public sector? Stay tuned as today we have an expert lead product manager joining us on the show to talk about product management in the public sector. This is the Product Manager Podcast, the voices of a community that's writing the playbook for product management, development, and strategy. We're sponsored by Crema, a digital product agency that helps individuals and companies thrive through creativity, technology, and culture. Learn more at crema.us. Keep listening for practical, authentic insights to help you succeed in the world of product management. Hey everyone, today I am really excited to welcome Sean to the show. Sean is the lead product manager for the DWP's Digital Debt Services, where he works alongside user researchers, content, interaction, and service designers to make digital services quicker, simpler, and more efficient for the millions of people that use them and manage billions of pounds of public debt. DWP is the Department for Work and Pensions for the UK. At DWP Digital, Sean and his team focus on transforming the public services that millions of people rely on. It's a huge challenge as DWP Digital's services touch the lives of almost everyone in the UK at some point. Sean brings both depth and breadth in his experience solving problems and optimizing the way organizations work, notably in the public sector. Hey Sean, welcome to the show. Hi Michael, how are you? Good, good. I must say that I am really intrigued for this discussion. There's a lot of overlap and some unique differences in product management in the private sector versus the public sector. And I'm wondering, just given your career in the public sector, can you start off by sharing how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, I think um, I think like a lot of product managers, um, it, it seems like uh, you, you spent a half a lifetime finding, finding the right thing for you. And uh, a lot of my experiences I use all the time. So I started off in uh, in our operations within um, the Department of Work and Pensions. So that's the welfare department for the UK. Uh, and there I learned, uh, first of all, that um, each individual user, as we'd call them in, in our world, uh, customer or, or citizen, is individual they have an individual problem that you have to address um, and, and their stories are real um, and uh, complicated um, and at the same time I very much w was in a, a clerical world really when I started that but you know we've, sp we've spent a long time trying to automate things but that sort of deep understanding of how processes work because you are literally moving a piece of paper around and moving it to another place is great grounding. And then after that, I went into uh, uh, project management. And in those days, it was uh, PRINCE2 uh, was our methodology. The UK government uh, um, um, developed that and went around the world after uh, afterwards. But even then, and in fact, actually looking back at it, PRINCE2 is only a couple of years younger than the uh, than the Agile Manifesto. It seems like a different different time when we were doing that but they, they, they kind of came out at the same place um, but even then I learned that really methodologies are, are fine but really it's about people 
and 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 so some of the fundamentals from then are still the same. And then I I trained uh, as uh, an internal auditor, um, so that was my profession for for some time. Uh, and that's that that's a really good grounding for anybody in the product management world because you you become used to first of all having a process. So if you go into a, a, a new area of a business, you need to uh, look at it, look at its problems, understand who the key stakeholders are in there, understand their perspectives, but not take their word for anything. Uh, a lot of analysis, a lot of data, but fundamentally it's about looking at where the problems lie and where there might be some solutions that add value. Um, um, to, to help the organization improve its effectiveness economy uh, and efficiency so so those are all be things that if I told you I did those you'd say I'm a product manager but that's what an internal auditor does as well um, then I then, then um, uh, a kind of easy jump from there was into the world of governance uh, within the department so you can imagine a very large government department we, we, we have uh, uh, close to 100,000 staff there, um, lots, of, lots of things going on. And there it was about how decisions are made, um, what that was at board level, um, secretariat for the board, um, where you, you, know, you were talking to uh, non-executive directors, directors, ministers, about what they needed to know uh, and what was important to them. And I think from that, I think that's something if you're a product manager it's really good if you can get that kind of uh, knowledge and even if it means that you just sit in on, on things because quite often you can get wrapped up in your own little problem yeah. whereas if you can get there and see see the bigger the bigger thing the strategy how things fit together what people are really interested in at that level it can really help you in terms of managing stakeholders and, and sometimes getting one step ahead of some of the things that are coming your way further down the line. Then I moved in, uh, again it seemed an easy jump at the time, to knowledge and information management and uh, a key part of that was a, a digital side, so our, our, our corporate intranet and that's pretty much how, how um, um, I, I got into the game I'm in now really, but a lot of other things around records management, but also how people learn um, tacit information that's passed one person to another, the sort of thing that we now know that if we can bring people together in a collaborative environment and they can share their ideas, you're going to get more out of it than if you have a sort of structured approach with meetings and agendas and things like that. And that 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 I got from that. But really, then. Um, that that world, particularly the intranet, and we we um, started using an internal social media. So we use Yammer if, uh, for mm -hmm. those who remember yeah. that. Um, um, that got me into being before we called people product managers. That that was my role really. We had an IT function that did all the tin and wire stuff, and then and and we we worked out how to use it and how best to use it, and how to get the most out of it, and then uh, that was it. One, one more little jump and uh, I, fa I found my way home as it were found my tribe as people say yeah you know it's, it's really interesting um because uh, you've, you've had a very long and, and successful career and it's interesting to start noting when you weren't 
formally in product management, um, several steps back from where you just ended, that you were already noting like, oh, there's kind of product management responsibilities that you were certainly doing there. And it was kind of a natural progression to defining your home, as you say. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting because it kind of talks to just how, um, I think, wide and kind of generalist oriented the product management role needs to be in order to be successful. You need to be in with the details, but you also need to be able to know how to work with the kind of the high level strategy and the stakeholders involved at that level but also at the same time be able to be open to kind of the, the more um, collaborative forms, free-flowing uh, collaboration, as you talked about. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think um, uh, I don't want to um, make generalizations about any, any of our colleagues that fulfill other roles, but I think more than any other, there are, there's no one type of product manager. Um, oh, yeah. And, and people need to understand that, that you, you so, so first of all, you don't have to have had my experience or, or anybody else's experience to, to be, be a product manager. What you need to do is pull, pull the best bits of what you've done before into it. But also, I think, be open to the fact that you, you are a particular kind of product manager. And actually, you should, you should be looking for products or, or, product, or the products at a certain stage in their life cycle that suit your skills and, and what you do. So I, I'm very much um, uh, uh, discovery, getting things into uh, live, getting things started kind of person, um, um, sort of trying to convince people what, what to do next, whereas other people very much are suited to live running, understanding um, um, how they can, they can um, um, Get the most out of what's there already you know yeah do do do, do what you're best at yeah yeah it, it you're you're hitting on a, a a piece that we could spend an entire podcast talking about which is just the the variations of not only the life cycle stages of a product that product managers as individuals might be best tuned to but also just the approaches different product managers irrespective of cycles might take one might be more process oriented and in a way that's really healthy for that product. Another might be more, as you mentioned, like discovery oriented, that's really healthy for that product. And it's not a one is better than another, um, but it certainly comes down to how each product manager is utilizing their individual strengths, um, irrespective of the environment that they're in. I am curious getting into the environment that product managers are in. Um, you have a lot of background in working on product development in the public sector. And um, can you talk a little bit at a high level, what are some of the key differences between product management in the private sector and product management in the public sector? Yeah, so the, the key, so, so this isn't a complete black and white difference. This is more, I think there's a, there's a spectrum here and public sector is probably at one end. But so, so number one, I'd say often you're a monopoly. You know, there's only one service for getting a driving license, ordering a passport, claiming your retirement pension, whatever it is. Um, so uh, that has its benefits. So you don't have to. <clears throat> you've got the gig. You don't have to fight for. It. You don't have to fight for it. That you, you you know that it has to be done. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that, that comes with that. So first of all, if you've got no competitors, gauging where you are with things is quite difficult. There's no competitor analysis. You can't steal features off 
off the other people there. You can to a degree um, with other countries. So I do a lot of looking at um, uh, other countries, networking with people, done it in the States, Australia, across Europe. Um, but what you often find is that the circumstances are slightly different, things are set up slightly differently. So you, you are very much on your own to a degree with some of those things. Um, you don't have a market share metric, so showing that you're doing better can, can be difficult. Um, and you've got users there who, frankly, haven't got any choice, really. They, they have to use your service. So you can't, you, 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 you know, whether they're satisfied or not, they almost don't have a, have a choice of it. So you, you, you're, you're struggling there to measure how you're doing. Um, the other thing is that people are often uh, um, at a very difficult point in their lives when they're accessing government services. Um, bereavement, all sort of birth, all sorts of things. Um, quite often, those their 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 um, journeys are with lots of different services, spanning different departments at the same time. So uh, um, mapping that and trying to make that better for them is, is difficult. And another big difference is you can't do the easy stuff only. You've got to have a service there for everybody. You know, you can't be, you can't build for the eighty percent. You've got, to, you've got to build for the hundred percent. And in fact, quite often, the people who find it hardest to access your services are the ones that need your help the most. So, so, so that comes in. We'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about some of those differences in terms of how you build things and how you focus on things a little bit after that. Um, other things that I guess you don't, you don't tend to. Um, have everywhere else. So everyone has some kind of executive override, you know, a director who thinks they know how to design a website. I'm sure everyone has that kind of thing going on. Um, but, you know, we're, so first of all, and I think this will probably go with most, most people who are listening and watching uh, um, in their countries, the, you know, our ministers that, that we're there to do what they want. So, I might think that something's the right thing to do, but, but, but they're voted in to make a decision and we're there to deliver it. Hmm. So that number one, that's fine. That's what we're here to do. They change their minds. So we have to deal with that. We change the government and we have to deal with that. Um, we're, we have a, a lot of scrutiny, hmm. whether it's on the amount of money that we spend on things, whether it's on... Uh, what we're doing, freedom of information requests. You know, we have to be pretty transparent about what we're doing, which uh, I guess in the um, in the private sector you can you can sort of um, um, hide behind some of that. So yeah, a lot a lot of big differences within within that stuff. Hmm. You know that, that, that a lot of uh, scrutiny and changing stakeholders. There's some similarities there, but it definitely sounds like there is a um, uh, a fundamental uh, shift in, in how the uh, the public sector has just naturally has to handle those types of things. And so, um, how do you, from a product management perspective, manage that? Um, if you're managing a roadmap, a development roadmap, and then there's um, a, a policy change or a new leader comes in that changes where you're at, maybe you're 80% complete. Um, how do you how do you uh, run with that? So I think, and this is where. Um, 
and 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 this would go for anybody, but 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 because of that that kind of risk to it, we probably have to do a bit more. You have to be in in there at the beginning of everything if you can. So if uh, um, policy um, people are pulling together um, um, ideas for ministers, if um, things are in the press, if you can uh, um, see changes that are coming down the line. If there's a new government, if there's an election, you, you look at uh, what manifestos each party would have. Um, this is not unique to product management, by the way, in the public sector. Anybody, anybody who's doing any kind of thing there has to be forward-looking. I think you know, have a really good understanding of what the strategy is. Um, have that ability to um, um, interrogate the different possibilities that are out there and, and, and then extrapolate that's what that might mean for your product and, and see how 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 much you can um, um, avoid baking in the situation now so that you're ready in the future um, which which uh, you know states you, you have to be flexible you have to be flexible speaking of flexibility does agile have a place in the public sector for sure. So um, it's interesting. So again, uh, UK government through the Government Digital Service uh, really, really has its own approach um, to agile development. We, we, we started about a few years ago. It's, it's been um, exported really, along with some of the individuals uh, around the world. Uh, and that kind of focus on the user um, um, Build thing, build small, iterate, learn, be adaptable to change. Approach is is well suited, um, and we're lucky that we did it because and we won't be unique in this. This will be around the world again. I don't think we could have delivered the things that were delivered during the pandemic without that. You know, the, not just us. Any country will have come up with um, overnight. Uh, the ability to book your vaccine, show that you've had your vaccine, book a test, all those kind of things. We couldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a few years ago, any of those things would probably have been a two or three year project oh. with a service integrator involved yeah. in it and, and things. So between Agile and, 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 and the cloud, really, it, it, it's um, it's been vital. Um, it's not always intuitive to to government, I don't think, and, and to the public sector. We've still got a lot of people back to the scrutiny. Mm -hmm. People like to see plans and deliverables and quarterly reports and all that kind of thing that, that um, they've learned to love for decades. Um, yeah. So, so there is a there's a culture clash within a lot of the things. That, Generally, um, uh, public sector organisations are, are quite risk adverse, um, whereas Agile is, by its very nature, about making mistakes, failing fast, and learning from it. So that that kind of that kind of thing is, is, is trickier, um, but but is definitely a, a, good, a strong place. For it. And I, I can't imagine now us starting a project and building it in a Kind of traditional waterfall kind of way. Yeah. I, I think we've. I think that um, we've moved on from from that completely. I don't think we could go back to that. So much about um, 
product development to me is about the culture of the product team. And you alluded to that culture clash. And you've, you also have alluded to um, the successes that you've been able to have over the last few years that you wouldn't have had to have been able to have, like, say, maybe even five years ago. Um, but also at the same time, at least from more of a kind of stake, stakeholder policy holder perspective, um, there's a tendency, and I think this goes beyond the public sector, um, to want to go back towards more fixed scope deliverable roadmaps. Um, how do you, um, perhaps kind of in the middle of that, as our roles often fall, how do you balance that tension to ensure that your product development team feels empowered and collaborative but at the same time, you're easing the tensions of um, knowing what's going to happen, making sure it's quality, um, sticking to the timelines, et cetera. So that's a really good question uh, and, and one that I'm living with at the moment. I think I think most most of us do. Um, I think it starts with having a clear vision that, that, that uh, stakeholders are, are bought into, um, that's focused on the user doesn't mention anything about replacing things or saving X amount of money or whatever, but is actually focused on a problem that you solve for a user. And if you've got that agreed up front, that I think you, you, you're a quarter of the way at least. Um, I, I um, do uh, uh, now next later roadmap. So that's three months now, three months next, six months later um, and we, we, we've got a bit of scale agile there as well so we've got um, um, product increment there mm. of that three months so we can I can say pretty confidently to a stakeholder this is what you this is what's going to happen in the next three months they recognize that in their in their minds normally that would be a plan you know um, but I'm not saying it's all going to happen in that or the order that I've written it down in. It might happen in a different order, and I'm not saying it'll all happen. Maybe some of it will happen in the next one, but pretty much that's what you're going to get. And then what we've done is we've we have linked that through, um, not on a one-to-one -one basis, but through to to Epics in in Jira, so that you can say, look, this is what we're working on at the moment. This is what it is on the roadmap. And this is the value that it's going to give you. And then the crucial one is working in the open, showing what you're doing regularly, um, yeah. and giving giving them confidence that you're headed in the right direction. And I think yeah. if you can do that. That that. So I don't think you. I don't think if it is a battle. I don't think it's ever won. Um, but it's but it is more. Um, I suppose it's more like keeping people. Um, um, Managing people's anxiety, I think, is probably the closest you ever come to it. But if you if you can get that rhythm of saying I'm going to do I'll, I'll do this, doing it, showing the yeah. value and moving on, I think I think you can get there in the end. Yeah, I I like that. I I like how you said it's it's it, you, it's nothing that's ever really done. Um, something I've I've certainly learned working with many clients is that it ultimately ends up being about kind of keeping attention. Um, an anxious tension, maybe. Hopefully, it's healthy anxiety, um, but it's ultimately a tension, something that's never done one way or another. And getting getting a little bit deeper into the user side of things from a public sector perspective, I'm curious how much weight, um, especially in a space where you don't really have any competitors, how much weight does user research carry for your work? 
it is absolutely massive uh, um, for us because partly because of that because because we have no other way of learning if we're doing a good thing um, our real metric can all, all only really be are we meeting the needs of the users and in doing so are we reducing the friction that exists between uh, uh, citizens and governments and therefore saving money really or, or getting better policy outcomes or whatever it is that your service is trying to do and to give you an idea how much we put on it so we have a, a, a service assessment so at each, the end of each stage of the life cycle we do a service assessment um, it varies I, I, should, I should have checked before I came in I think we're on 12 different points to it at the moment it um, and um, really two of those are about user research when we actually go into the assessment which kind of goes on for most of a day I'd say at least half of the time is spent just talking about the user research do you understand your user do you know who they are do you understand the lives that they lead um, um, the problems that they have so it's not so it, so so I think it's important to say for me there's two kind of types of user research and, and we do do both um, so you've got very much the UX end of it usability does this do the thing that it was meant to do type research but we we invest heavily in understanding people's lives hmm. where they are um, how the other things around them impact on them um, um, where where they're accessing our services from you know quite often it's not at home might be in a public library that kind of thing um, what other things they're doing what other services they're accessing who's going to have a problem all that kind of stuff is vital for us and, and we an understanding that while you're designing and iterating that all the time is really really important to us interesting yeah it sounds like a you have to bring a strong posture of empathy um, to that that user research yeah for sure and the other thing I'd say we, we treat it as a, as a team game hmm. as it were mm -hmm. so we have very good professional user researchers but we make sure everyone including devs testers everybody is involved in user research because to, to get a product that works you have to understand your user whoever you are speaking of, of understanding your user how important is accessibility again uh, uh massively important i'll have to i'll have to come up with some better phrases for that so if you remember when we were talking about the difference between um uh public sector and and, and others yeah we we have to deliver to everybody um, mm. um not only because that's the right thing to do not only because that's the law and again that you know we won't be unique in that but you know legally we have to have an accessible service but we actually won't get the outcomes that we need unless we do that uh, so um, we um, so, so we use the WACG um, uh, uh, standards there for, for one part of it but it's much more than that so um, recently we've been doing some accessibility testing uh, with um, people who are dyslexic, um, people who are colorblind. Um, we, we, in the past, we, we've looked at where people have got uh, um, 
uh, have ADHD, all sorts of things, because you, you know, disability is such a wide thing. But also, disability and ac accessibility aren't the same thing either. So it could be, you know, I said about the public library, if people are accessing our services from a, from a public library or from a noisy um, bus on their mobile phone or whatever it is, we need to understand those things and make sure that they can do that wherever they need to do it and, te and test alongside that. And then with our agents, the same. So um, where they're using our internal services. Uh, I think there's a great quote. Um, um, one of my um, ex-colleagues, actually, she just left for another organization. But there was a thing on Twitter today. And um, it was about um, accessibility being an add-on or not. And, and for me, very much it isn't. So, so um, accessible services are good services. Accessible design is good design. And she said, the goodness should be baked in from the start, is what she said. All the, all the goodness baked in. So, and, that, and that's, what, that, that's how, how we approach it. And in fact, if you design an accessible service, it will be better for everybody. Yeah. And when you look at things like um, the, the UK um, government um, patterns that we have from a government digital service um, patterns, they look very um, stark to a lot of people, but they're very accessible, and actually, they make they, they make it easier for everybody. We've learned over time. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good example of uh, of, of of how perhaps the public sector can be a stronger champion of accessibility, maybe more so than some private sector uh, organizations can afford. Yeah, I think so. Um, like I say, we obviously, if you're a government and you're making uh, you're making laws uh, around accessibility, it's beholden on you to to comply with them. So that's number one. You know, we can't, we can't complain about other people if we're not right ourselves. But I think um, um, probably because we haven't got that profit driver behind us, we can we can we can say. We can maybe invest a little bit more. So sometimes people get a product out to market very quickly to to get that return on investment that they need for their shareholders or capitalists, venture capitalists, whatever. We we you know because we the sort of services we have and we know we have to get it out to people earlier. Then we um we we have that focus. Not to say that we're perfect all the time. By the way, I don't want to make it sound like. Uh, it's some kind of accessibility nirvana. Um, um, we, we have to work at it like anybody else, and, and um, we make mistakes, and we and we learn and, and, and improve from that. Cool, very cool. Before we wrap up, I'd like to ask uh, a few personal lightning round questions, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Hmm. I would say curiosity if that counts as a habit yeah um that's a good one I, yeah i think uh if i had in fact if i had to pick one trait that would stand if i if i had to check whether you were a product manager or not in a room full of people i think if i could come up with a test for your curiosity that might be a really good start i think um um Looking at something, not taking it at first value, at face value, not taking everybody's word for whatever it is, 
thinking round the edges of it, thinking what data can I get to understand this a bit better? How can I take the back off it and have a look inside? All that kind of stuff. I think, yeah, all, product managers are probably the ones where all their toys were in bits when, when they were kids trying to work out how they worked. They either became engineers or product managers, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great observation, and I, I love it. I mean, it's uh, whenever I interview for product managers, um, one of my favorite questions to ask the candidates are like, "What's one of your favorite apps you use?" And that answer can be really revealing, depending on if it's a mainstream app and they get really into specific details, or if it's a really niche app because of a strong user experience some indie developer created, and they were curious about those interactions. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking, speaking of tools, um, what is your favorite tool that you use regularly? So we use a lot. I'm sure that that, that, that um, we're all, so we we do the the whole. We're very Jira focused on hours and uh, and and things. And with lockdown, we we've used um, a few whiteboarding tools. But for me, there's the one. Um, I don't know how widespread they are across different markets. Uh, it's a company called Propad. And I use that yep. for uh, for our um, uh, for our roadmap that I talked about before. That seems to work really well for, for stakeholders. Um, I'm sure uh, other other ones are available. Uh, definitely not not on a on a um, uh, on an advertising blitz for them. But yeah, I, I like that's worked out very well for us at the moment and. That, that links in with our JIRA, as I was saying before. So that kind of showing that journey from vision through to um, through to what we're working on, how, linking the OKRs to it, giving people the ability to feedback on things. Um, we're a very big function for products um, in, in DWP. So we can all see each other's roadmaps. There's a consistency there that stakeholders will see one and they can see another and recognize what's going on. Um, it's really, really useful. Awesome, awesome. There'll be a, there'll be a different favorite one tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was just talking to someone earlier today about um, how often you rotate through tools and, and everything. So um lastly for the start of someone at uh, for someone who's starting their product journey today what is one piece of advice that you would give them um i would say don't don't be railroaded yeah everyone when you start everyone will tell you how things are um what can be done what can't be done uh, um, because of the technology because of the processes because of the time scales um, I, I guess alongside that, you're never going to please everybody, and actually, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to please anybody. You're just going to find a compromise between them all. So, 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 don't feel like you have to do what everyone's expecting of you. Work it out. Back to the back to the curiosity thing. Work it out. Demand the time to do the right thing. I think that would be. Easier said than done, obviously, but it's <laughs> well said. Though it's very well said. Um, couldn't I could not agree more. Um, thank you so much for for joining us on the show today, Sean. Thank you, uh, and, and good luck with your your future podcast as well. Awesome, thank you. Um, for everyone listening, you can find out more about Sean's work at the DWP Digital Blog or find him on LinkedIn. 
Again, thank you, Sean, so much for joining today. And thank you, everyone, for listening in or watching uh, the video. Um, be sure to leave a review if you wouldn't mind. Um, it helps us uh, tweak how we approach future podcasts. And be sure to follow and join our community at theproductmanager.com. Thank you.